Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen, what we were founded upon. I'm going to be turning to the Song of Solomon. This is not... Uh, I know a book or the Song of Songs, as it's called in some of your Bibles. Um, This is not a book that maybe that's gone to very often. Uh, I've never been one to shy away from it, but I think some do because there are a lot of interpretive challenges with the Song of Solomon and ways in which it can be interpreted and and so on and so forth. But uh, I want to just look at it tonight. I'm just going to teach this evening. I wish we had a table big enough that all of us could just gather around and sit down and talk about the word of the Lord here tonight because that's what I feel like we almost have here, a fireside chat. Amen. Just almost like a one-on-one personal Bible study, which I love, mind you. I love uh, just to be able to get into that groove of a one-on-one Bible study. So maybe I'll just pick one of you out at a time and just stare you in the face as I teach. And then maybe every five minutes just switch whoever that may be. Um, but uh, we'll do that here this evening. A Song of Solomon, chapter number five. And I want to begin, I want to begin with verse number one. And I trust, at least from my understanding, everything went well over the weekend. And uh, everything's still intact and it's still there. Amen. This is not a result of the weekend. This is sickness that's happening around here. Uh, but uh, everything's went well. I have not had the time uh, yet or have not rather taken the time to listen to the morning or night services but i will i guarantee you it's in my schedule to do so and uh so we'll we'll do that and enjoy it as you enjoyed it this past weekend song of solomon 5 verse 1 the bible says not one but verse number two i'm sorry you was wondering what i was doing wasn't you brother zach verse number two if we can start you know all these ch- chapter and verse you know things actually came later whenever it was written it's just kind of like written like this there wasn't a whole lot of this chapter and verse stuff. And so there's a really a good break after chapter 1 that leads into something else here in verse number 2, rather. So it says, this is really if we're looking at, there's like man-woman speaking in, in the Song of Solomon. Sometimes you hear the daughters of Jerusalem chiming in. So it's almost like a dialogue, like reading a playwright. And so the woman speaks and she says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. Isn't that so poetic? For my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? She says. I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? She says. My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door and my bowels were moot for him. I rose up to open to my beloved and my hands dropped with myrrh, my fingers with sweet smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I like to turn over now to Song of Solomon chapter 7, verse number 10, which many revere as the, the key verse, if you will, of the whole book of the Song of Solomon. The Bible states these words woman from her point of view again says I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me tonight I I would like to speak and use as my text or subject 
the last phrase there of verse 10. His desire is toward me. Can you say that with me? His desire is toward me. Amen. I'm going to ask the Lord to help us in the next few moments, and I will be mindful of your time. I know there could be weather, whether or not, I don't know. But nevertheless, we'll pray. Father, I love you. Thank you, Jesus, for this grouping together of people tonight. God, in this place, in their faithfulness. God, in the midst, Lord, God, of any weather that may come, and in the midst, Lord, of sickness that is seemingly on every side. Pray, Lord, you would bless them and honor them, God, for their attendance to the house of the Lord. I pray, oh God, that you would enlighten my mind, remove anything that needs not be there. Lord, apply whatever needs to be there. Mark every bit of error, Lord. Bring to remembrance the things, God, that need to be shared, Lord, in this setting here tonight. I pray, oh God, your word alone is anointed, but I pray, God, help it to go forth. God, and find a place, Lord, of security in each and every one of our lives. Now, thank you, and I praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. 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 You may be seated this evening in the name of Jesus Christ. The song of Solomon. Again, there, there seems to be uh, not too many that would go to the song of Solomon and teach or preach from the song of Solomon because uh, they believe that there are some interpretive issues with it. As you would read the Song of Solomon, as I have already said, opening here tonight, it is nothing more but a dialogue. The past, the past couple of Wednesday, Wednesdays, my uh, focus has been on the home or the marriage in particular, and I have spoke along those lines, and we could very easily take the Song of Solomon and incorporate that as well in this lesson tonight. But I want to go a little further than just a relationship between a man and a woman that's highlighted in this book of the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. And it is nothing more but a dialogue. There are times that the woman is speaking and there are times that the man is speaking. The woman, from what we can deduce, is known as the Shulamite woman. She is called the Shulamite here in Scripture. And the one that she is primarily speaking to being the man is Solomon himself. I think he's mentioned about 12 times in this book. By and large, is probably the author of the book of the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. Being that we read in other places of Scripture that Solomon wrote about 1,005 songs and this is the Song of Songs or the greatest and best of those songs. And so through the dialogue of the Song of Solomon, this, this speaking back and forth of the man and the woman, there is what takes place, a relationship that is forged, that begins to grow, blossoms to the place of matrimony, and then what happens after marriage or matrimony in their relationship, that there is still something there to be maintained. There is, if you will, the initial relationship that we can even identify with today in our own personal lives of the... Uh, puppy dog love just totally enthralled and attracted uh, to that one of the opposite sex uh, as we were just young teenagers wet behind our ears loving and adoring somebody of the opposite sex growing and arising to a place of matrimony and then dealing with at times if I can state it like that the fallout that happens to keep the embers alive within a marriage we got a light that's causing that God bless it if I had a rock, I would break it right now if I could aim just right. 
but the, 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 the fallout that can happen after marriage and, and in a relationship between a man and a woman or at that point, more plainly, a, a husband and a wife. The Song of Solomon can be interpreted in different fashions since you have these two individuals. It can at its very base level be looked at through the eyes of a man and a woman. At another level, it can be interpreted through the sense of God and his relationship with Israel. At another plateau, it could be viewed through the eyes of Christ and his relationship to the church. That, that wooing, if you will, of one another to a place of matrimony as it would be and the keeping the kindling of the relationship alive and, and, and full of vibrancy. And with all that being said, if I can start and just get into this a little bit here this evening, I would like to start back at verse 2 in, in Song of Solomon chapter number 5. Whenever this woman is speaking, and it seems as though the first phrase there, I sleep but my heart waketh, uh, we can understand that perhaps she is speaking of a time right now that she is in a, a spot of being asleep, but her heart is awake almost as though that she is describing a dream. Now, whether that is the case or not, there is controversy. Whether this is a dream that she portrays to us or whether it is literally something that happens, and I'm not necessarily weighing on every, any side, except I, I would maybe lean towards a dream, but that, that is not important to what I'm about ready to relay to us here this evening. She says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. Now, there's something that you must understand where we're at here at chapter number five. At chapter number five, the relationship has already grown and matured and blossomed. It's already grown and matured and blossomed into a time of matrimony, into a time of marriage. So chapter number five, verse number two, we are on the backside, as it were, of married life. That has already taken place. Marriage has already been sealed and secured. And so she says, I sleep. And note what the Bible says in the next phrase, it is the voice of my beloved that not the saying open to me. And he gives those terms of endearment, my sister, my, my, my undefiled, my love, my dove. Now here is a scenario if you can wrap your mind around it. You're on the backside of marriage here, the backside of marriage. The woman has already went to bed and evidently she's locked the door. Amen. Because the Bible says her beloved is on the exterior of the door. And he's saying, woman, my precious love, dear, divine, undefiled, open to me the door. So she has already went to bed without her beloved. They're married. But she has went to bed without her beloved. She has laid down. The Bible says, says that she, she's asleep, as it were. She's asleep. And here is her husband knocking on the door. Please let me in. Please let me, I know, I know. If you look at it through the eyes of real life, it's a little bit comical to consider someone that is now married and she has locked her husband outside of their bedroom. But that is in essence what is taking place. And he is beckoning to her on the other side to allow him in. 
And evidently, he's been out there for enough time that the Bible says that he states to her that his head was, is filled with dew as locks with the drops of the night. And it was known that in that, that area of that time that it was, it was normal for Israel and in that area for there to be oftentimes heavy dew. And so here is a man that's evidently been outside long enough dew is forming upon the locks of his hair. It's heavy with dew. He's been out there for a long time. And he's saying, honey, please let me in because I've been out here a long time. My, my hair's wet because I've been out here long enough for dew to get on my head. And so she, though, as again, the scripture, and I want to just compound it again and again, the Bible says that she is asleep. The word sleep there means to sleep or it means that I sleep or I grow old. There is even uh, the original word that it came from that means that I sleep or I have grown stale or I have grown calloused or I have grown hardened. And that brings a whole different element besides just sleep in a natural sense. But we're talking about a woman who quite possibly in this relationship that she has with this man has already grow, grown to a place in a relationship that she is hardened, stale, and calloused about the love that they had shared. Amen. And so she's saying, I am asleep. Folks, I want to take this to a level tonight that is beyond just a man and a woman, although it would be quite appropriate to view it through those eyes. But I'd like to elevate it through the interpretation of Christ and his church. Christ and his church. She says, I sleep. She says, I am grown calloused and hardened and stale. Insomuch that my beloved is on the exterior of the door. Yet we're supposed to be in a relationship and I have set him outside of the room of intimacy because I'm going to sleep. I am calloused, I am hardened, I am stale. Folks, that is a very real thing that the church can be susceptible to is allowing the Christ, the God Almighty that we have fell in love with adore and lavish love upon to set him outside of the bedroom of intimacy with us and say we've already crawled in bed this is already grown old callous and stale to us concerning me and, and you and our relationship with one another you say well that was good for then no it's good for now the Bible says, if you'll turn there with me, the Bible relates a story, a parable. In Matthew chapter number 25 and verse number 5, if I can just pluck that one verse out, and we may look at a few more. But in Matthew 25 and verse 5, this is the parable of the ten versions, five that were wise and five that were foolish, all of them that were waiting for their bridegroom to come their bridegroom to come and they some who had oil in their lamps and oil with them being the wise and the others that took no oil being the foolish and the Bible says in verse 5 that while the bridegroom tarried they all everybody say all they all slumbered and slept the all that the word all is referring to is all I know that's deep. 
But the all that the word is referring to are those that were wise and those that were foolish. They all slumbered and they all slept. And so if this, this parable, if this parable is true to life, and for that matter, prophetic of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, then it tells me that it doesn't matter if you're considered the wise or the foolish, the saved or the lost, the in church or the out of church, you will succumb to slumber and you will succumb to sleep. Someone say amen. If I can state it through the lens of the lady of the Song of Solomon, you will succumb to times of being hardened, calloused, stale. Amen. In this relationship with the king of glory. So we have this potential propensity, even if you will, to slumber and to sleep. And that is one of the reasons why the warning, the watchword, amen, of verse 13 is just that. Watch, therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Watch, therefore, because he's going to come. You don't want to be slumbering. You don't want to be sleeping. It's right. The apostle Paul in the New Testament scripture said, it's high time for us to awake out of our sleep. For today is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Amen. So we got we to gotta shake ourselves. We got to bring ourselves to an awareness of the times and the environment and what's around us. And most importantly, the nearness and nighness of the one that we have pledged our love to. Mm-hmm. Because as my title is to this evening, he, his desire, his desire is toward us. It's toward you. Amen. And so it's very easy, even in today, that we would be lulled into a non-responsive state. Amen. It's almost virtually inescapable, according to Scripture, that you would be lulled, lulled into that, that state of, of, of inactivity, of callousness, and of, of being stale. But the thing is, hey, you help determine how long you're going to be there. Amen. The Bible tells us in, in Matthew 25 that whenever the hour of departure was upon them, verse number 6, that at midnight there was a cry made that said, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And there arose all those that were sleeping, the wise and the foolish. They all rose at the, the, the cry. The difference is, is that the wise were ready. In verse number 10, the Bible says, And while, while they went to buy, that is the foolish, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. That whenever the cry was made, whenever they heard the voice, amen, that he was coming, that he was approaching, all of them got up, all of them shook themselves, all of them became awake, but the wise went because they were ready, even though they had lapsed into momentary slumber. Listen, you want to be ready because inevitably there will be moments of slumber. Inevitably there will be moments of callousness and being hardened. You want to be ready so that when the cry is made, hear me, that there is no more need for preparation. Amen. 
they had made well enough preparations for their times of indifference. Mm -hmm. They had made well enough preparations for their times of indifference, and yet the Scripture still bears witness in the New Testament, the righteous are scarcely saved. Scarcely saved. And so here is this woman. She's asleep, if I can get back to my text. Song of Solomon, she's asleep. She waketh though. She, she seems to be uh, in a dream. And in this dream though, she's, she's understanding the already disconnect between her relationship with her husband. He's asking her to open the door. He has been there for some time. And notice, I want you to notice very clearly, verse number three. Her response to the request of the one that loves her. Listen to the response of the request of the one who loves her that's been shut out of this room of intimacy. Her response is this. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? You know what she's saying? She's saying, I've already went to bed. I've already put on the garments for going to sleep. And you're at the door wanting in. And in order for that to happen, that's going to require me to get up. I've already put on my night garments. How you expect me to put them back on to let you in? I've already washed my feet. Well, about, well, you got to, you know, customary in that time, they're walking with sandals or no shoes at all. They're picking up dirt all during the day. So it was customarily before they went to bed, they would wash their feet. So they went drag the dirt of the day into the bedchamber with them. So she's already washed her feet. She says, if I get up, I'm going to get my feet dirty. You're asking me to get my feet dirty for you again. If I come and, uh, come and answer the door, you're saying open it, but I'm saying I'm already in bed. I'm already comfortable. I've already in repose. I'm all, my feet are already clean, and you're asking me to do all these things for you. The man and the woman. But Christ in his church, he says, open to me. He says, let me come in. Let me be a part. And we're like, God, you realize what that's going to require of me to do in order to allow you in where I'm at? You realize I've already tidied some things up and I'm already in a, in a place of repose and relaxation and I'm drifting on and you're asking me to make myself uncomfortable? So that you might be able to come in where I'm at. I mean, he's her husband for crying out loud. Do you understand the concept? It's through the idea that, you know, really sleeping on the couch shouldn't be where you always sleep. Huh? If you want to, that's fine. I guess go on and do it, but not in my home. I'm going to be where my bride is. Going to be where my bride is. Amen. But she's saying, no, it's an inconvenience. You are inconveniencing me to open the door to one who loves me. It's an inconvenience for you to love me. It's an inconvenience. No, no, no. Maybe the inconvenience is that you're having a hard time because you're in a hardened place, a callous place, a growing stale place to reciprocate what he's trying to offer. Everybody walking along all right with me? Because we're just in home Bible study here tonight. It's just one-on-one. -on -one. This is where we're at. 
Now, now, now look at this. He says, it says in verse number four, she says that my beloved, speaking of him, put his hand by the hole of the door and my bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved. Now she's, she's on the verge of doing something now. And my hands dropped with myrrh and my fingers with sweet smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. Upon the handles of the lock. So what is happening right here, Solomon, as it were in those days, locks on what they had to be doors were huge. They were huge. Bishop years ago preached on about the key of David and he had a huge key on because they were huge. They were huge enough a man could literally stick his hand into the opening of the door. And so Solomon is seen here. He's placing his hand in the opening of the door. But there's something that's vitally important I want you to realize. That he did not kick the tumblers or however it was in those days. He did not do anything for the purpose of unlocking the door. He restrained himself from unlocking the door. Unlocking the boat if you will. Although he put his hand in the door. But I want you to denote this, that whenever he put his hand into the door, and you'll read this in scripture, what happened was he had myrrh, he had myrrh, that little oily resin of myrrh, a perfume, an aroma fragrance, it was known as a perfume. They used it in dead bodies to cover up the putrefaction of bodies. Myrrh was very stout in its aroma. He had myrrh on his hands and he placed it inside of that, that opening of the door of the lock, that mechanism as it were. And he didn't unlock the door, but he just placed something there. Listen to me. He placed something there as a token that he had been there. Because here's what, here's what would happen. There was a custom, there was a custom in that day. Now this was when a man was engaged to a girl. Now this is happening, they're already married. But Solomon is trying to illustrate something. I want to act toward you as though it was when we were still engaged. It was custom in that day that a man that was engaged to a girl, when he wanted her to know how much he really loved her, he would slip over at night to her home. And since, since, since the, the, the lock mechanism of the door was as it was so big that a man's hand would even fit inside of that hole, he would go there and he would reach inside to that, that mechanism, almost to the inside of the door, and that man that was engaged to that girl would put myrrh on the handles of the door, as it were, that were even on the opposite side, so that, in the morning, her even maybe being totally oblivious to him having been there. In the morning when she would go to the door and put her hands on the handle and the locking mechanism, whatever it was, to be pushed aside, that she would get myrrh on her hands and that fragrance would fill the room and the home and she knew that she had been visited by the one that she loved and that loved her. Solomon's standing on the outside. He's saying, let me in, I'm your husband. But he could have forced it open. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't manipulate that back then. You could have got that open by putting your hands in there. But he says, no, I don't want to force my entry into your life, but I'm just going to leave a little token here like I would have when we were engaged to tell you that my desire is still toward 
Bible says, Bible says that whenever he stuck his hand into the hole of the door, that her bowels were moved for him. What do you think happened? She's aware to a certain degree in this vision or dream of this. He sticks his hand in there, but he can't stick his hand in there with the myrrh all over it without the fragrance of the myrrh starting to permeate and fill the room where she was. No doubt there was something that already started to happen and that was her sense of smell was already picking up on the visitation of that man. That, 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 that sense of smell was already picking up on. I remember when he used to do this before we... I remember visitations like this before. You know, they say smell is a very strong thing. You smell something and it can trigger your memory better than anything else, than sight, than sound. If you smell it, it will trigger your memory better than anything. Here is this groom. Here is rather this husband sticking his hand in there with a scent of yesteryear, with a scent of a desire to be with her, with a scent of his love, his compassion, his undying love for her. She's saying, she's not, hey, it's inconveniencing me to get up. I can't come to the door. I've already went to bed I got my bed clothes on I'll get my feet dirty again but he's leaving a little something there in the locket saying hey I still desire you I still love you if you become hardened or calloused or stale to me I still love you yeah so he leaves just leaves that little bit of something right there And her bowels move, no doubt, awakened by the smell. And she gets up to do something. Now I want to back up just a little bit. Notice whenever he approaches the door that it says in verse 2, it is the voice of my beloved that knocketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh. So evidently, we have that there was no doubt, and we know so, that there was the voice of his on the opposite side, but there was also the repetitious knocking of him on the other side. Here's the thing. The Bible speaks of one of the seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation. The last church, Church of Laodicea, in chapter 3 and verse 20 of Revelation. It speaks of an encounter of him with this church. And his description is this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, will sup with him, and he with me. What was happening all the way back in the Song of Solomon, even portrayed in the book of Revelation, with a church that had grown cold, with a church that said we're rich, we're increased with goods, we have need of nothing, we're self-sufficient, we don't need anything from anybody else, we got our own thing going on. Yet even to that church, he said, in spite of you feeling like you got it all, in spite of you feeling like you don't need no help and you don't need no answers, I still have a desire that is toward you. I'm knocking and I'm speaking if you just open. And yet in the Solomons crying out to the Shulamite, knocking, crying, open the door. I'll come in, I'll sup with you and you with me. This is just not a one-sided thing. This is, this is something that's going to be reciprocated. God's desire is toward his church. 
Christ's desire is toward his church. There is a reason, great reason why in the cool of the day God would come down and speak with Adam and Eve because his desire was toward the church. His desire is toward the church. Why do you think? And toward Israel for that matter. Why would he take a people out of a people? God's desire was so much toward mankind that he said, I'll take a man from a pagan lineage such as Abraham. I'll turn his life around to serve me alone and birth out from his loins and those in his, his, his lineage. Amen. A group of people that will be called the nation of Israel that will be my people. God had a desire. It's not changed. It's not lifted up. It's not been alleviated. Well, Jesus, I think in John 10, isn't it? Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Stranger. They will not follow. I guarantee you, her lack of getting up wasn't because she didn't recognize who it was. On the other side of the door. However long the courtship had done had sealed the deal on that. She knew who it was. It was just a lack of effort on her part. And so when seems like the voice of one that knocketh, it's like whenever he could not arouse her or could not prompt her response by his voice. He said, I'll use my hand. And he went a little further and then placed that myrrh, that resin on the boat. There's something else I want you to consider there. And this is just thinking, okay, sometimes thinking outside the box. Not only was the, the realm there of what would happen during an engagement, no, no, no doubt that filled the room and no doubt she got that on her hands when she finally arose to answer the door. But consider with me for a moment. You know, good old locks, after a while, they get sticky. They just don't like to open like they used to be able to open. This is just thinking outside the box. To leave her without any excuse, a good oily resin would be a great lubricant if there was any problems in getting the door open. I'm going to leave you without excuse. I'm going to place that in here on this mechanism, if it was difficult before, if, if the latch is a little difficult, well, I'm gonna make it a little easier here uh, just by me placing my hand in here and just laying that, that little myrrh upon this, this place. But she arises, she smells the scent, she gets up, her bowels are moved for him. She goes, she, 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 she does whatever she has to do concerning the bedclothes. She's willing to get her feet dirty. And she goes to the door and she opens the door to her beloved. Which, why should she have had to open the door for her beloved to begin with? Why would you lock the door on your beloved? She goes to open the door for her beloved because there's something starting to move in her now. She's having a little attraction going on. There's something that's being aroused in her natural body. And if I can't for the church, sometimes we have those arousals in our spiritual aspect. And we're ready to go after God. We're ready to grasp God. We're ready now on our own turf and discerning and decision. We're going to let you in. 
And she goes to door to do just that. Her hands are dropping with the myrrh that he left there. There's a token there that he's been by. There's a token there that his presence has been there. There's a token there that he's been very near and very nigh and very close. She smells it. It's all around upon the handles of the lock. But she goes to open the door to her beloved. And she says, my beloved hath withdrawn himself. That whenever she got in her mind, she was ready. He had already gone. All she had was a token of him having been there. All she had was something that was on her hands that said he was close and nigh even to the touch, but I would not. I'm ready now, God. I think we do that as a church sometimes, God. God, on my terms, when I'm ready, when I'm ready, I've heard that sometimes from people straight from their lips. When I'm ready. Well, when you're ready and you go to the door to open it, you might be in such a situation, what you are left with is the memory of where he's been. He's withdrawn himself and was gone. Someone say gone. And was gone. Gone. Isaiah 55 and 6. This is the wisdom Isaiah the prophet gave to the people of his day. And it was there during a very, very estranged time of people with their God. Both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah with their God. Very, they were estranged from God. Not because of God, but because of their doings and their disobedience. And this was the words of, of wisdom that God had through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. He said, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What he was telling those two kingdoms. He said, don't you let a day go by that you shut the door to the, the sanctioning, the sanctity of your room of intimacy with God. Don't you dare ever shut the door to that. Don't you ever lock the door to that. You, whenever God's showing up and you hear his voice and you hear his knock and you smell the aroma of his presence, you go on and let God in. Don't you betray that moment. Don't you betray that moment. You, 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 you seek him while he can be found. You call upon him while he is near. You know what's amazing about this concerning the song of Solomon between Solomon and the Shulamite, a man and a woman, Christ and his church, whatever venue you wish to look at it through. Something that's interesting me in the song of Solomon, chapter 1 and verse, verse 4. And I don't have it up there, but if you want to get it, Brother Zach, that'd be great. Song of Solomon 1 and verse 4. Look at this. Draw me, the Bible says. We will run after thee. Look, she says, the king hath brought me into his chambers. You notice? Who's doing the bringing into the chamber? The king. His desire is toward her. He brings her into his chambers. That's before they ever got married. He's bringing her into his abode. Bringing her into his space. Bringing her into his chambers. Before there's any matrimony that takes place. But if you look at the Song of Solomon chapter 3 in verse number 4. And you go down a little bit there. 
The Bible says, I had brought him, the woman speaking, I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chambers of her that conceived me. See, before they ever got married, before this ever got stale, before this ever got callous, there were times that he brought her into his chambers. And there were other times, though, that she brought him into her chambers. What are you saying, Brother McGee? They had come to a point of the juncture now. She wasn't allowing him into her chamber. Where before she beckoned him, where before she had called him. Now he is on the peripheral, prohibited from coming in. Oh, the ardent affection that we have for God in our little lovey-dovey time of a church with Christ that we're saying, God, come on in. Be a part. I want you a part of my life. I want you in every aspect and every area of my life. And we're beckoning and we're calling and, and we're begging even sometimes, God, be here. And other times, God's making the invitation to us. And there's this ebb and flow of us desiring him to be where we're at and him desiring us to be where he's at. And then somewhere along the line, somebody gets callous and we know no longer are making the call for the Lord to come, but it's all one-sided. Come on, honey. Come on, dear. Come on, wife. Come on, church. Proverbs chapter 1. Here's what can happen when there is a refusal of the presence of the one that desires to be in relationship with you. And Proverbs 1, what is being illustrated here, we're switching gears. Now we're looking through the eyes of a woman. This woman that is characterized as a woman is actually wisdom. The first book of Proverbs is personifying wisdom as a woman. This, this wisdom that is personified as a woman is reaching out to humanity, reaching out to mankind, all right? The Bible says in Proverbs 1, in verse number 24, this woman, wisdom, has reached out. She is called. Her voice has been uttered into the streets and the chief, in the chief concourses of the town. She has beckoned one of them to come and turn unto her because she's wisdom. Amen. And the Bible says in verse 24, she says, because I have called, and ye refused. She says, I've stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have sat at naught all my counsel and would none my reproof. Look at verse 28 now. Then shall they call upon me. You refused my hand. You didn't regard it. I extended it. I vied for your attention and your affection, but you've refused it. She says it in verse 28. Then... Shall they call upon me? There's going to come a day then that you're going to call upon me. You're going to desire me. He said, she said, you're going to call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early even, but they shall not find me. Why? Because they did not take advantage of it when I was eager to be with them. You know what the sad situation of the whole Old Testament is? 
God was patiently waiting there, constantly trying to get the attention of his people. At times, whenever he would really like to destroy them, he did not because he did not want the enemies of Israel to say, their God is just a flub. He said he would deliver them, but he brought them to the wilderness to kill them. And so that he wouldn't get that bad rap on his reputation or name, he waited patiently, he wooed them, he constantly went after them until it all came fun and games of Assyrian Babylon taking them captivity. God says, I gotta wash my hands of you. You refuse me, now I refuse you. And so she went to find him. He was withdrawn. He was not. And she says in verse 6, my soul failed when he spake. Honey, why didn't you why didn't you why didn't you do something? You know what she's saying? In modern day terms, church world, I felt convicted, but I didn't move with my conviction. My soul failed me when he spake. I felt that. I knew that was him. I needed that. But I didn't. I'm in bed. I've already got my shoes off for the night. The Bible says now aren't the tables turned here in verse 6. Now the, she was the one being sought after. Now she's the one seeking. She was the one being sought after. But now there's a road change. She was absent and he was present. Now that she wants him to be present, he's absent. But she's present. He was seeking and longing for her. But now the tables are turned. She is seeking and longing for him. But she has a frustrated, a frustrated journey. The Bible says in verse 6, but I could not find him. I could, he was just here moments ago. He was just here moments ago. But now when I decided to open the door, I can't find him. He's nowhere to be seen. He's gone. He's withdrawn. But I know I heard his voice. He was He was just here a few moments ago. I heard his voice. I heard the knocking. I smelt the aroma of his presence. But now on my turf, when I went to fight, he's no longer here. He's gone. But just a few moments ago, Oh God, I feel his presence right now. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I was so filled when he spake. I sought him. I could not find him. I even hollered. I called out to him, but he gave me no answer. He gave me no answer. Oh, how inconsiderate of him. Is it? That the one you are in relationship with, you got locked out. You got locked outside the door and it's inconsiderate of him after a while to finally depart and leave? Is it? Is it? Gave me no answer. Said the watchman that went about the city, verse 7, found me. They smote me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. This seems outlandish right here, folks. The watchman. Many times that position and place was even served by some of the priesthood. She says, I went to the city in this, whether it's a dream or reality, 
She went about the city and they found me. They smote me. They wounded me. The keepers of the wall, they took away the veil from me. Let me tell you what's just so mind-blowing about this. I'll end tonight, but you might have to stay a little longer, okay? Thank you. I appreciate it. Song of Solomon 5.2 After matrimony, okay? Follow me here real closely. Song of Solomon 3 verses 1 through 4 before matrimony. Notice the difference. Notice the difference here. This seems to be Song of Solomon 3 verse 1. Brother Zach, you can help me. This seems to be another dream or vision as it were. Before marriage. Look. By night, she says... On my bed, look what's happening here. I sought him. By night, upon my bed, I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. I'm going to, I will rise now. I'm not comfortable with being reposed in my bed and him not being here. I'm going to get up even if it makes an inconvenience to me. And I'm going to go on a journey because I must have the one my soul loves. I will rise now. I'll go about the city and the streets in the broadways. I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchman that go about the city found me. To whom I said, saw ye him whom my soul loveth? It was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and to the chamber of her that conceived me. Do you see what's happening here before she became hardened? Do you see what's happening here before she became callous? She said, wait a minute. I don't see him around. I'm going to have to get up and see where he's at. I'm going to have to go find him. And when I find him, I'm going to have to bring him to where I'm at. I'm going to bring him to my chamber. I love him. I'm going to put my arms around him. I'm not going to let him go. Now you take that stark contrast and contrast it to chapter 5 when she's reposing in her bed. He's knocking on the door asking to come in and she's delaying and getting up. And now she's seeking to find him but she's frustrated because she can't find him because she didn't take advantage of him when he was readily accessible to her. The watchman now the watchman before when she was on her seek and search journey don't necessarily do anything. There's no wounding. There's no abuse. There's, there's no correction going on. She just asks and then she goes on and finds. But in the second episode, whenever she comes to the hands of the watchman, they, they smite her. They wound her. Watchmen a lot of times were fulfilled by priests. You wonder why sometimes it makes my job difficult? It's not when you are ardently seeking and searching after him because you just notice he hasn't been by. But it's the moments he's been at your door and then you go to try to search him, you'll hear the voice of correction from the watchman. 
it'll feel like a wounding. It'll feel like a smiting. But in essence, it's for your good. What the watchman is conveying, why didn't you take advantage of him when he was at your door? This journey would not even be essential or necessitated if it wasn't for taking advantage of him when he was at your door. I'm, I'm, I'm running, I'm running. I'm running on the inside. Remind me it's too early in the season for me to wear a vest, okay? It's a human handkerchief. Verse 8, back at Song of Solomon 5. And I'm going to be closing, folks. I do don't want to take advantage of you. Verse 8. Now she talks upon upon looking for him no answer calling to him no answer seeking for him but not being able to find him now she talks to the daughters of Jerusalem look what she says I charge you O daughters of Jerusalem if you find my beloved that ye tell him that I am sick of love what is she saying you tell him that I need him you tell him I desire him if you happen, he happens to come by your house you tell him I'm sorry that I ever allowed him to leave Tell him I am sick of love. Now look at it. This is, and I'm closing with this. I'm a, he, he desires you, folks. His desire is toward you. Notice what the verses say. Notice what the response is to this woman. The daughters of Jerusalem are responding to her. Look what they say. And this is where we need to get to in our daily walk with God. They, we need to ponder this question of the daughters of Jerusalem. They ask, what is thy beloved more than, any, uh, than, other, than another beloved? O thou fairest among women. What is thy beloved more than any other beloved that thou dost so charge, that thou, that thou dost so charge us? You know what they're saying? What makes him so different and special from another man? If you're sick of love, if you need him, if you're ardently after him, then tell me why is he so special and different from any other man? That's what we need to ponder as a church. That's what we need to ponder as an individual that becomes callous and hardened and stale in our relationship with God. We need to ponder and remember this is the reason why God is so special to me. This is the reason. This is why he's so different from every other religion, every other man, every other supposed God this is what sets him apart and if we'll get back in touch with what sets him apart and what makes him different we'll keep the door to our room always open and our desire will be toward him just as much as his is toward us stand with me she finishes out the chapter and she begins to recount Everything about him that is different than any other man. All of those qualities, all of those different abilities, all those physical attributes that sets him apart as her beloved, as one that she desires, as one that she needs, as one that she wants. Folks, it wouldn't be nothing wrong for us ever once in a while, even whenever we leave this service and maybe perhaps sometime during this week, sit down for a moment 
and began to answer the question on a ruled paper. This is what makes him different than anyone else. This is what makes him special to me. This is what makes him my beloved. Because if you'll reacquaint yourself with what made you fall in love with him to begin with. change the dynamics of the relationship between Christ and his church between Solomon and the Shulamite between this man and this woman I smell something right now folks I have smelt something there has been a turn in this service at a juncture in the road he put his hand in the hole by the door and there's the fragrance of myrrh that has filled this place. And there's not going to be one single one of us to be able to leave this house without getting myrrh on our hands because our hand is going to touch where his hand has been in this place. God, I am my beloved's and his desire his desire is toward me. His desire is toward you, young man, young lady. His desire is toward you, elderly man, elderly lady. His desire is toward you, mom and dad of kids that are being reared and raised in your home. His desire is toward you. His desire is toward the church. Hear his voice. Hear the repetitious knock at the door. Don't leave him till his locks are drenched with the dew of the night. Let him come in. Open the door. If you've already settled in your repose, become uncomfortable in order to answer the door. Sacrifice what you deem right now as, as a no limits, no ground sacrifice. Go there and sacrifice it for the purpose of letting him in to come in to sup with you, to come in to be with you. These altars are open. There's not been Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.